We're on the eve of round three, and the Premiership Blues seem to be a really real thing for the Cats. Despite a bin chicken five, a light tower on Friday, the Lions suck across the line against the Ds. It's almost like they should, you know, knock down the Gabba or something. Port failed to power up the flagpires of Ulaar and will continue to swoop whilst the Tigers got their last crow on their Adelaide Oval hoodoo. To Saturday night and Ross Lyons' second coming, which brought the winds of change for Rabbit Men. And it's their 150th anniversary celebrations coming up this weekend. And luckily it won't cost them that much to get their trophy transported by Armour Guard. As for Ross, he finally found his sense of attack. They kicked 92 points. But our fortune isn't shining on his opposite number as Bevo seems to not be able to teach old dogs or young dogs new tricks. The tips were very deliberate in their unanimous support of Fremantle against North, but the umps didn't agree. And on Sunday, Sydney voted red and then demolished the Hawks. Has anyone checked on Jeff Kennett? The Bombers proved that Melbourne doesn't need the sun to rise to be happy, while the Eagles send about their business quietly on the Western Front. Welcome to the Fans Eye preview for Round 3, brought to you by Sportsmade, Footy Live and TLA. And speaking of Hawthorne, with me to nuff out on the weekend's action and preview the weekend ahead is one very sad hawk still, Nikki G. How was the weekend for you and how are you looking forward to the next one? Yeah, well, I mean, the football weekend in general, very eventful. Um, from a Hawthorne perspective, not very good at all. Uh, it's been a rough start to the season, to say the least. Um, but yeah, I'll extend on that shortly, I think. But yeah, um, hopefully we see some improvement soon. Yes, we'll save your lamentations for just a little bit longer because your favourite topic has raised its head. Each week we'll be talking about Nico's News. You are our newsbreaker here at Full Your Live. And of course, it didn't take you very long. We're two rounds in and you're already <laughs> wanting to whack the umps. So here you go. Here's your run up. What took your eye this week? Oh well, it's it's not so much the umpiring uh, decision making. I've got nothing. I've got no specific scenarios where free kicks shouldn't be paid or where they should be paid, like I have in previous seasons. But it's more just around Gordon. The um, I, I guess calling free kicks in general. Like we spoke spoke about last week, um, the fourth umpire, and we we both seemed pretty happy with the umpiring in the first weekend. And again, I didn't really see um, any. But, I mean, any major decisions that uh, that were incorrect, uh, even though, you know, the biggest talking point of the week was that uh, Fremantle North Melbourne uh, siren gate. But um, besides that, you know, the umpiring's been okay. But it's just, yeah, the, the too many free kicks being called. I think they've just been a little bit too whistle-happy. Um, like on the weekend, I, I actually, no, before I get into the numbers, the usual, I think, average for free kicks in a game is around, you know, the mid thirties with both teams combined. And on the weekend, we saw free, uh, Collingwood have 34 free kicks just on their own to Port Adelaide's 15. And then again, in that Fremantle North Melbourne game, uh, Fremantle having 34 to North Melbourne's 23. So that's 57 total in a game. Now, um, this, uh, this isn't to say that it's the f- fourth umpire causing this. It might be, it might not be, but, um, one thing's for sure. I think too many free kicks are being called. Even in that first round, um, there were a few scenarios where there was, uh, I think there was like four or five games where more than 40 free kicks were paid in, in the match. So far too many. Uh, I'll be keeping a closer eye on it this week to see if it happens again and if we can pin it down to that fourth umpire. But I think they just need to put the whistle away. And has it affected your viewing experience then? So obviously the numbers are there and we can see them quite clearly. You can see them in the footage live app. But like, does it matter too much? Isn't it just, you know, a lot of whistle play on, take advantage, all that kind of stuff? Or is it is it two-stop start? Are we getting to be a bit like netball? Yeah, I, I think it is a bit too stop-start. Um, it kind of gets annoying when you're watching it on TV and you just hear that whistle being blown every two seconds. It's like a flickering light, you know, it just bugs you all game and you just want it to stop. But, um, yeah, I mean, I hope I hope we do get to see the whistle put away. We want to see games flow a bit more. Um, again, I've, I've mentioned the advantage rule in the past. When there when there is an advantage, umpires shouldn't need to blow the whistle. They should just, you know, yell out advantage and keep the game flowing. I, I want to see games flow a bit more. And, um, yeah, 
Well, I mean, we're there to we're there to watch the players. So if there's a 50-50 call, I'd, I'd like to see those ones just, you know, get let go and uh, a bit more leniency would be good. But enough of the umpire chat. On to our fans' eye view. And, of course, every week we'll ask you, Nick, as a number one Hawks fan, uh, how your Hawks are going. So what did you make of last week's uh, result? Was there any small glimmers of hope or is this going to be just a very, very long season for them hawkers. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, if, if the headlines are anything to go by, we may as well just cancel the whole club and uh, start again or relocate to Tassie. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was an ugly game to say the least. Very frustrating to watch from a supporter's perspective. Um, definitely not the definitely not the, um, the, the starts of the season we wanted, um, to say the least. Uh, probably It's probably one that many... Um, on the outside expected. Uh, obviously, the whole discussion around uh, Hawthorne being a former tanking this season, um, given, you know, their list cull and uh, now Damien Barrett's coming out and saying that the, the club uh, has made the league skewed, even though, you know, we've had the same team finish at the bottom of the ladder three to- three years in a row. But no, it's not North Melbourne making, ex- uh, making it skewed, it's Hawthorne. But yeah, it's, again, uh, very disappointing, but the whole discussion around um, around the, the, the list being cut too deep with the um, Mitchell and O'Meara departing the club. Again, I'm not sure if I completely agree with that statement because I actually think that the midfield has gotten a lot better. Definitely would like to see a few more leaders in the club. Uh, that, that, wouldn't, uh, that would obviously help a lot. But um, yeah, I think unlike previous seasons, Hawthorne's midfield... Um, has been probably the highlight to this start of the season. They've broken even in possessions, tackles. They even won the clearance count against Sydney, but the clearest area for improvement is the forward line, which just looks dysfunctional. There's no targets to kick to. And, of course, the back line when the ball gets transitioned, too many one-on-ones and conceding too many marks in that defensive 50. So there are two areas of the game that... Um, that need to be improved, but other than that, I I'm confident you know Hawthorne will get a win sooner or later, and uh, all these all these topics of tanking and uh, competition skewed will go out the window. Well, absolutely, especially when you get one against the uh, rampaging Kangaroos, the clearly the next premiership favourites under the helm yes. of Clarko. It's a bit of a student needs master. In Launceston, and we know it was a very frosty transition period, but Sam Mitchell gets his chance to head down to Tassie as he's done a thousand times under Clarko and mm. uh, take on the old master uh, when they play North Melbourne this weekend. And are you confident or are you nervous? Because obviously the narrative at the moment is you guys are ruining the league, and if you lose to North, well, then uh, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of question marks around should you have kept Clarko? Should you have yeah. got rid of Gunston? Should you have got rid of all these players? Can Sam yeah. Mitchell actually coach? Must be yeah. a very big weekend for you. Yes, yeah, uh, and I think Sam Mitchell as well would definitely want to get one um, on Clarkson. It's a bit of a uh, apprentice or master versus apprentice sort of situation, and um, yeah, given the whole uh, all the headlines during the week and how the narrative has changed on Hawthorne and for North Melbourne, um, it would be a very sweet victory. I can't say I'm I'm confident going into the game given the past two results, um, but I, I'm confident that, you know, we can put in a better performance and um, hopefully we can come away with the win. But, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting game. Um, I think Sam Mitchell spoke on Footy Classified earlier in the week and it was made clear that, Clarko might have a bit of friction with some of the people still at Hawthorne and on the board and whatnot as as um, he, he was somewhat pushed out the door in the end. Um, so he'll definitely want to get want to get the win against Hawthorne. So it's going to be interesting. It might spark a new little rivalry here. Absolutely. And so what's a pass mark for you then? Like, Does it have to be a win for the Hawks to be uh, happy with the weekend's results? Can a close loss do it for you or is it just you know playing with a couple of standards yeah um i don't think we can expect going to this game expecting a win um given the contrasting forms but 
think what Hawthorne supporters would be looking out for would be just the more competitive effort um, over four quarters. And, uh, yeah, uh, I'd probably alarm bells would probably be winging, uh, ringing if um, if they get pumped by, say, like 40 or 50 points. Uh, so hopefully that doesn't happen and hopefully we see a much more closer competitive game. We'll be back after a quick break. And so, who are you tipping then? Are you going to, you know, stick fat with the Hawks, or are you going to try and, you know, bank a tip in the tipping competition and pick the ruse? Oh, look, I, I never back against the Hawks, uh, Gordon. I'm always uh, on their side, but um, if if it was for money, <laughs> I'd probably be tipping the ruse. To be quite honest, they, they've looked pretty good over the last couple of weeks, and um, I mean, they'd be as confident as ever. Uh, going up against the Hawks um, as they yeah as they are this week uh, given the form so they should get the job done yes yes hard to uh, tip against North in this situation especially just the style of football that they're playing you know classic classic Clark in the sense of standards classic Clark in the sense of intensity um, they're doing a lot of things that a lot of clubs aren't doing this early in the season so that lengthy transition period that was meant to happen has uh, snapped into gear quite quickly and uh, they're reaping the rewards for it. So I'll be tipping the uh, tipping North and, uh, yeah, might have a very frosty post-match with, uh, with Sam Mitchell. But um, <laughs> then to the breaks. Yeah. So each week going forward now, we're going to do our little club exchange, our buy, hold, sell, and this week we'll wrap it in with our previews of the weekend's action as well. And uh, might be a fairly obvious question, Nico, but if you had to buy one club off the club exchange, the stock market, who is the most valuable club to buy in your eyes? Uh, definitely Collingwood. I mean, it, they're hard to look past at the moment. We spoke about them last week. You said it yourself. They're the most watchable team in the competition. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. It's gone to a point where people who... Uh, usually hate Collingwood, which is most of the competition's fan base, uh, are starting to have a bit of a soft spot for Collingwood. I mean, when they're playing on TV, you're turning that tally on and you are watching it, uh, and there's good reason for it. They absolutely blew Port Adelaide away. Um, and, and the way they're playing as well, uh, they're playing with so much freedom and flair, and uh, they've got so many exciting players on that list. And uh, usually, like, if you watch the Pies last season, obviously they'll they were involved in a lot of close games and, you know, they'd either tend to start the game off well before dropping off or, you know, trail for a long period of the game and then come back late. But now what we're seeing is like a real four-quarter effort from this Collingwood team and um, they, they almost look unstoppable. I mean, to blow Port Adelaide away by 70 points is just emphatic. And um, the two areas of the field where Collingwood struggled last year were contested possessions and clearances. Um, this year, it seems like they've fixed it, whether that's the to obviously the help of Tom Mitchell or everyone in that team has somewhat picked up their game in that area. They, they, they are just so vastly improved though plus 57 in contested possessions against port which is a huge number 155 to 98 they were plus 12 in clearances plus 17 in tackles plus 10 in inside 50s i mean that is a complete performance and yeah i spoke about tom mitchell he just complements that midfield mix now so well they've got so many players that can um damage teams both on the inside and the outside um obviously nick dacos is almost in brownlow form you have to say even his brother josh has been playing really well and you've got you know degoey who can hit the scoreboard Pendlebury, 35 years old. He, he's just like a fine wine. Same with Sidebottom as well. And then you've got like Adams, Cripps, 
more Maynard in defense and they're just so difficult to defend for teams. And um, yeah, I think it's surprising this time last year, we all expected Collingwood to be, you know, a bottom three side, but it's amazing what can happen in a year. You look at their list now and it's almost like they've set this up to be a premiership team. Um, by going by their age demographic, it's, They've got so many, you know, 30 plus year old veterans that are still playing really good football. Um, they've got those, uh, a good mix of those young players as well with Nick Dacos, McCreary, but a majority of their list is in that 23 to 28 year old age bracket. And I think they are primed to win a premiership. So, in terms of most valuable teams, Gordon, the Mighty Pies, they are up and about. Flag pies, it seems, is what you're saying there in the uh, too long, didn't read version of events. But uh, very interesting comments coming from uh, Nathan Buckner, SEN, this week as well. Uh, he had to, well, across all of his media, he's, a, he's basically football media is Nathan Buckley this year and hats off to him. But he had to do everything in his power not to suggest that the uh, brutal cuts that he was in charge for uh, have set up this team for success. So he was definitely catching his uh, receipts on the way out. Um, and, you know, fair enough too. He was their coach for quite a while and he was pretty good in, in parts and, and not so good in others. But he would definitely um, maybe be sitting back a little bit and being a little bit annoyed that he couldn't have just hung around for another year or so. But uh, those mm-hmm. are the breaks. And so, of course, the big biggest game every season, Collingwood versus Richmond, even bigger when both fan bases have 100,000 members, even bigger when Collingwood are going to be you know on top of the ladder flying high. And... You know, sometimes this has like brought fan bases together and it's, you know, you know, there's an intensity that's matched on both sides. Not this case. I don't think there's a single honest Richmond fan currently watching football this year going, yeah, we're a chance against Collingwood. Like we're a proper good chance. I'm going to walk into the G on Friday night and be like, yep, absolutely. We're winning this game. They are all very nervous. All of the Richmond membership base, which should be very, very nervous of getting absolutely pants because if you can allow Adelaide to come back into the game after you had a 45 point lead mm-hmm. like they did last week just imagine what Collingwood could do in a quarter of you know no defense and absolute running gun through the guts and you know it could be yeah. it could be diabolical and then then we'll see some footy media hot takes let me tell you but what's your tip for the weekend I'm obviously leaning towards Collingwood but can you see an angle where Richmond comes through uh, not really, unfortunately. If they were playing with their full team, maybe it would. Uh, I could see this be, being a bit more close up. But with the way Collingwood play uh, are playing, and you mentioned Richmond just then, letting Adelaide back into the game. And just before we uh, began this uh, podcast record, uh, there was some team news for Richmond with Dustin Martin and Jacob Hopper being out. Uh, of this Friday night's game. And Hopper was brilliant last week against the Crows. Dustin Martin, obviously such an integral member. Jaden Short's already out of that team. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, they're, they're obviously massive losses for the Tigers and they, they don't tend to uh, tag opposition plays as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with Nick Dacos. After the, after the first fortnight of this season, um, I think a lot of teams will be looking at how to, you know, stop him off that halfback flank because uh, obviously he's having such a massive impact when he's being uh, run loose. Hawthorne obviously tagged him that uh, preseason game and, and was successful at it. But, um, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if he can replicate his damaging performance if the Tigers uh, let him run loose. So, one to watch on Friday night. I can't look past Collingwood for the win here. Yeah, you mentioned Nick Dacos there. He's been involved in a third of all scoring chains for Collingwood this season. Ranked number one in the club. Uh, arguably probably ranked number one in the AFL as well. And it's almost insane not to tag him because if you can just mitigate, you know, there's a third of the scores. Now, all of a sudden, you know, Collingwood's back down to, you know, 80 points. Obviously, not to prevent him from having any impact whatsoever. He's far too good for that. But to let him run rampant and say, we don't tag players, I don't know. I feel like that's a risky move um, against one of the the best players in the competition right now. And unfortunately for the Tigers, the major stat I had for them is that so far this year, I mentioned it in our round one review, that surely they can't stay at 29% inside 50 efficiency for the whole season. Well, they're still ranked 17th. 
They've only brought that back up to 35% of their inside 50s being efficient this season. So that won't be good enough. The one shunning hope, however, is Tom Lynch, who's uh, he's booted 20 goals in five games against the Pies. That's mm-hmm. the best in the AFL. He loves playing the Pies. He loves the big stage. Um, yeah. And he might need to do it all on his own again, like he did last week. Mm. But, uh, yeah, no Martin or Martin's in doubt. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be very, very tough for the Tigers, but let's just hope it's not a blowout. On more positive news, I think I've got a new second team, which is b- <laughs> bad news for a different team, but we'll get to that one. My new favourite second team is St. Kilda. Uh, uh, don't say it. Because, because I just feel like you just hate them, but more importantly, <laughs> you hate the style of football that Ross the boss, Ross Lyon brings. Yeah. What he's bringing isn't a style of football. What he's bringing yeah. is an opportunity for St. Kilda fans robbed of happiness to win more games of football. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look. I- and it's worked two weeks in a row. And it worked splendidly well against the Bulldogs. And they even kicked 92 points. If you're a St. Kilda fan, what more do you want? We kicked a few goals. All of our youngsters look pretty good. A couple of debutants. Yep. Some yeah. classic Rossisms in the presser. What more do you want? <laughs> what more do you want? Yeah, no. Look, I don't. I don't hate St Kilda, and I certainly don't hate Ross Lyon. I do have a problem with the, the, the style of football he's played uh, in the years gone by. It's not really. Um, I guess it's not positive football anyway. But they they were fantastic against the Bulldogs, obviously, uh, keeping them to a low score, and um, obviously scoring pretty highly themselves. So um, it was a really good win for St. Kilda. Um, again, you can't fault them to start the season. But my my argument is that how sustainable is this? Obviously, they've got their injuries and now Jack Steele's gone down, which is a big loss. Um, so it, like you kind of expect them to drop off a little bit because of those players missing. I think they've got one of the biggest injury list in the competition but um, yeah if Ross does revert to playing that you know defensive style game I just I'm just yeah I'm not a fan of it I'm not an advocate for defensive football I don't think it stacks up um, at the pointy end of the season but hey we'll see but when you say it doesn't stack up I didn't play defensive football last week you know they they had you know, twice as many inside 50s as the dogs that might be having to do more with the dogs than it did to do with their well, own performance. But say, like, surely, yeah. yeah. But surely, you know, obviously against teams that he thinks they can't beat or teams yeah. that he thinks that they are better than them, they will play more defensively. And against teams they think they can beat or in games where they are in a position to be more emotive and, you know, charismatic and attacking, then maybe they'll do it that way. Maybe he'll pick and choose. Maybe it won't be just reflexively defensive as, as you're fearful for. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll I'll talk about the Bulldogs a little bit later on, but um, they were atrocious. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 defensive style that Ross Lyon brings, they still dominated the Bulldogs in all the key areas, uh, which is extremely concerning for the Dogs. Again, I'll go into it in a little bit more detail later on, but um, yeah, I, I can't fault that performance, and I don't think any St Kilda supporter. Uh, will really care about um, any of the outside noise if they keep winning games like that. And if they do, then good, if they do keep winning, good on them. Um, they deserve it. And what, what we saw on the weekend, it, it is a very good. Um, it, it, it's not a traditional Ross line game. They were a bit more attacking, and it, it was good to watch. I, I can't fault it. There you go. And so, what might also be good to watch is uh, Saturday night, seven twenty-five, the prime time slot. St. Kilda will be celebrating their 150th year as a football club when they take on Eston at the MCG. And it's the first time these two clubs have played at the G since 2006. So a very rare primetime slot for the Saints, a very rare time uh, at the MCG as well. You mentioned, you know, you don't want to see no defensive football. Do you think he'll go attack a V attack when it comes mm-hmm. to playing Eston? Or do you think the Saints go defensive? Because uh, the pies have, uh, sorry, the um, the dogs, the, the dons have leaked some points already this year. They've already leaked 145, but they have scored 232 of their own. Can St Kilda survive a shootout, or will he have to concede defeat and uh, go defensive? 
Well, the fact that it's at the MCG makes it really interesting. Obviously, they've played their first two games at Marvel Stadium. That's where the Saints are used to playing. But on a bigger ground, on one that they haven't played on this year, um, I'm not too sure if they're going to, uh, if Ross will be confident enough to um, play a bit more bold against an Essen team who have also been scoring pretty highly. They've hit over the ton in, you know, their first two games of the season, albeit against Hawthorne and, you know, Gold Coast. But um, I would expect to see a bit more of a defensive setup from Ross. And this is a game they'll want to win. They'll want to make sure they win this. As you said, it's a big anniversary match uh, for the St. Kilda Football Club, 150 years of, uh, of <coughs> mediocrity. But um, no, it's uh, <laughs> it'll be a good game to watch. But yeah, I'm expecting um, yeah a bit more of a defensive setup. Yeah. It kind of have to be. You'd be very scared of going, you know, into a shootout against the against the Dons. Also, the Dons have had the wood over the over the Saints for quite a while now. So they averaged ninety four points against them, ranked number one in the competition. This is Essendon's favorite team to play against since two thousand eighteen. Mm. Um, and yeah, all their attacking stats for the Essendon are, are fantastic. They're ranked third for shot accuracy. Um, you know, they're ranked third for outscoring from intercepts, which was up from sixteenth last year from scoring on on the rebounds. So. It's going to be quite tough, and this will be their first big test, but I'm buying in the Saints. The value is there. They're overperforming, and until proven otherwise, I reckon they can get it done against most of the of the middle to lower tier teams in the competition, and that's exactly what they've done so far. Yeah. Now, my sell, however, is bad news for my other, formerly known as second favourite club, Fremantle. Because every year I came on this podcast and I said, this is the year of the Dockers. This is the year of the Purple Haze. Look, they started off as a defensive unit, much like this St. Kilda side. And then they developed some attack. And then they got some young guns in. And then they strengthened those young guns. And Brayshaw had an almost brand level year. And then this year, they've just forgotten how to play football. Mm. They've just and there's no excuse to play like St Kilda when you have this many good players in your in your in your team. And the worst part about last week against North was a that they they lost to North only by a point, but they still lost to North, so that's already a terrible mark. But B is the fact that in the last quarter they suddenly just decided, oh, actually we can play aggressive attacking football. We can be potent in our forward line. We can move the ball from one end of the field to the other quite quickly. You know, we can have good inside looks. We can do all of this stuff and we've just not done it for whatever reason for the last yeah. one and a half weeks. And so I'm done with them. They've they've lost to two teams and now we're just seeing that, you know, some of the other teams they've played against didn't stack up. So, um, yeah, not about it. I'm off Frio. You got any thoughts? Yeah. Are you just good riddance to one of the most boring teams in the competition? Yeah, I think you've summed it up well. Obviously, that main issue is that they can't score. Um, it's, it's been an issue for them for a while, and we, we saw improvements last year, um, but still, the, I feel like they were still winning games without hitting massive scores. But yeah, it, it seems like um, that forward line struggle has crept back into the team. Obviously, last week against St. Kilda, uh, dominated the ball, but just couldn't break down that St. Kilda defense. And then to do it against North Melbourne at home, uh, for it to happen against North Melbourne at home, um, that's that's a big loss, and that'll put them under some pressure. If that's if that doesn't change, I, I can't see them making finals. That, that were one team I had circled in, one of the three teams I had circled in in last year's top eight that could drop out of finals this year. And um, yeah, two rounds in, it's looking like um, they could be they could be the faller. For this for this season, they've been extremely disappointing. Um, you know, I, I think it has to be put down to um, has to be put down to that forward line because the the midfield numbers, the defence, it holds up pretty well. But um, if you can't stru- if you struggle to kick a, kick a score, you're not going to win too many games of football. And if you can't do it against North Melbourne at home, then you're not going to do it against many other teams, especially on the road. Yeah, absolutely not. And they're only averaging 64 points now in their last five games at Optus Stadium. So home and away, uh, they're having not much fun in front of the big sticks. And it might continue because the Derby's on this Sunday at 5.20, obviously against the Eagles. 
And the Eagles got back into the winner's book. They were very concerned after round one and they had that shock, well, maybe not a shock loss to North, but at that stage we're like, okay, let's confirm it. Eagles down the bottom of the ladder. However, you know, they kicked 100 points against the Giants on the weekend. Their midfield looked pretty good. Tim Kelly, Dom Sheard, Andrew Gaff, all, you know, got in there, got their hands on the footy, had the possessions we expect them to have. And all of a sudden, that engine room kind of just wound their team into life and they, you know, they took down a, a pretty good giant side that we were all impressed by after round one. So, yeah. Any hope for Frio in this one? Any hope for the Purple Haze to get back in my good books? So, are we going to tip about oh, tip the Eagles to win by plenty? Yeah, no, there's there's definitely hope for the for the Dockers, but I really think this is going to be a good game. It's an interesting one. Um, I reckon it'll be really close. Um, I mean, no matter the form of the two sides going into a, a derby, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a hot and competitive game of footy. Um, again, I, I'm expecting Freo to get the job done. I still see them as, you know, a, a good enough side to you know, make finals if if they play to, to a similar style they were last season. I'm still backing them in to win against the Eagles. Um, but, yeah, I, I think West Coast said it in our preview podcast. I'm expecting them to be a better side this year too. Um, got a lot of their players back from injury. Um, Allen's been really good in attack. Waterman kicked four goals on the weekend. Um, they'll, they'll put up a good fight against Frio, and yeah, I'm expecting this to be a close game. It might be a close game, but I reckon the Eagles have them covered now because just of that game style. If you think Ross Lyon can't play, can't coach football, you know, in a palatable way, then uh, 17 backwards kicks. Imagine, imagine going to a Dockers game, but they were actually a Melbourne-based club, and like you know, you got a half full MCG, and they're kicking it backwards, you know, 20 times a game. Just how irate the average fan would be. Because you hear it once or twice when you go for a switch kick, and all of a sudden it's just like, why are you kicking it backwards? Kick it long, kick it forward. That yeah. people would, heads must explode watching watching Fremantle play football. As I said, they only averaged 64 points at home in the last five games, and they have the worst inside 50 efficiency um, at 31%. That's even below Richmond, who are being diabolical in that department this mm. year. On the flip mm. side, West Coast are doing all the opposite things. They're kicking it long. They're taking ground. You know, their midfield's coming back into form. And, yeah. you know, even last week, and this might be, might be a one-off, but the Grambles. So last every time we talked about West Coast, even during their premiership year, it was like they don't do Grambles well enough. They don't do contested football well enough. They're a kick-mark team. Last week, 22, they lost that by 25 uh, yeah. the week before. So... You know, if they can show up, if they can do the hard things well, I think it's going to be the Eagles by plenty, like in the old days when they used to win 11 in a row. But uh, a couple of split <laughs> yeah. tips this week, which is very good for the ratings. So your sell, and we've mentioned this team a little bit, but you're about to, you know, Bevo's just had his teeth fixed, but you're about to kick him in, it looks like. So yeah, let us know yeah. how you feel about the doggies. We obviously spoke about this game in a bit of detail earlier, but yeah, the Western Bulldogs, just they were so disappointing on the weekend. As I mentioned earlier, I mean, when you're going up against St. Kilda, who are a defensive-style team under Ross Lyon, you expect to win in all major areas of the ground. And despite you know the, the big names in that Bulldogs midfield, it is embarrassing at the fact that they got beaten in contested and uncontested possessions. Marks, given their, you know, the height they have in their team, clearances, tackles, tackles inside 50 and inside 50s in general, they were just smashed in all those categories. Um, it, yeah, I mean, what can you put it down to? They've got an ultra-tall forward line. They've got some of the best midfielders in the competition. Um, and when you're losing key stats to a team that's missing who's got the biggest injury list in the competition in St. Kilda and who also lost Jack Steele, uh, the, the best midfielder and, you know, the key to their midfield group halfway through the game. The fact that they still lost in all those areas is really concerning and you have to put it down to put put it down to Luke Beveridge and uh, I'll give credit to you because you called it at the start of the season. Um, he... I mean, we used to criticise the Giants for not being able to drive... Uh, sorry, Leon Cameron for not being able to drive the Ferrari at GWS. Well, uh, yeah, 
beverage is failing to drive the Lamborghini and the Bulldogs. And yeah, I'm, I'm putting this one down to down to the coach, Gordo. I don't know if you agree with me. Uh, obviously, you will because you called it at the start of the season. Yeah, I don't think it's all to do. Well, it's, it's all to do with Bevo, obviously. I don't know if it's because he can't coach. And I, you know, spoiler alert, it's a little interesting well, angle I'm taking at, at this game. But yeah, it is a lot of effort. But also sometimes I think, and this is also what's been maligned by all the old heads when it comes to the AFL media, as they talk like about being overcoached. And so it's taken them a long time to get the Bulldogs, you know, embedded in their systems when they had, you know, basically a full team of midfielders. It's just everyone's a mid, everyone's a utility size, everyone has mm-hmm. to play this role. And then to completely change the structure of the team, which everyone thinks is a good thing because they need to have tools at either end of the field, but then you're going to have a completely different game style to utilize those tools. And so now all of a sudden you've got players who aren't being utilized in their best capabilities. And all of a sudden it's like, where do I go? What's, what's my role? Like, what's my running route? Like, how do I, how do I fit into this team is what they're thinking about when the best coach teams, those things are embedded and it's just like, okay, where's the, where's the opportunity? Let's take opportunity. Let's go. And that's like Collingwood. Collingwood went, Collingwood couldn't kick, kick, kick scores for a couple of years. Those things have been embedded and built upon. And now they're in this position where they can just express themselves because they understand this, the standards are there and embedded. The Bulldogs have changed all of that. They've thrown away the old script and now no one knows how to, how to sing the same song. So, yeah. Mm. But the effort thing is also concerning because I also think, you know, you can't, well, I mean, you can't get smashed by that much and then just say it's just the coach. Like clearly the players yeah. aren't playing to their required standards of an AFL outfit. So that is also yeah. very concerning. There's something wrong in the messaging because two two fifty point losses to start the season. I mean, everyone's criticising Hawthorne, but for the Bulldogs to learn, uh, for the Bulldogs to lose two games by over fifty points and not kick over ten goals in in both games, I think that's ultra concerning. And um, I mean, how long will Bevo be given to to fix this before it's too late? I think he might be. Well, the, the best part one. is he has a he has a contract extension. He's just signed yes. on at the start of the year, so yeah. we're not going to rip up a contract extension. So he's in he's sitting pretty, but he's very lucky that he signed it because otherwise it'd be a very different story. But then, mm. of course, a week's a long time in football, Nick. They're playing Brisbane tomorrow night at Marvel, and you yeah. know Brisbane, they weren't that far away from uh, being zero and two as well, albeit in very odd circumstances. But their first week performance against Port, diabolical. Fagan mm-hmm. gave him a mulligan, gave him a, gave him a week off. wasn't going to give him a bollocking, and they came back and they did the job. And you know, before the lights out enough, they were comfortably in front of Melbourne. So yeah. hats off to them. Do the yeah. doggies upset the Lions though? Are they resting on their laurels a little bit? I mean, you can't. I can't see it. I, not not if they're going to play the way they have over the first two weeks, which is all we really have to go off. I mean, yes, a week is a long time, and it it can all click on Thursday night for them. But um, yeah, the Lions seem to get their groove back last weekend. I know it's at home and playing away is a lot different, especially for the Lions. But um, their record at Marvel Stadium isn't too bad. And, I mean, yeah, the, the pressure is going to be on the Bulldogs. I think a, a lot will be going through their minds heading into this game mentally. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's going to, it's going to require a lot to, um, to change their confidence and um, get some momentum going in this game. But I'll be tipping the lines because, yeah, I, I just I think they really started to click. I'm not going to read into uh, that fourth quarter fade out um, after the lights went out at the Gabba. I thought they were emphatic against a very good team in Melbourne, and yeah, I think a, a, another big win or or big defeat could be on the cards for the Bulldogs here, and yeah, could really start to put some pressure on Luke Beveridge. So usually I like to tip using stats. But sometimes you have to tip using vibe. And mm. there is no more vibe-based club in the AFL than Luke Beveridge's Bulldogs. And this mm. is a perfect situation for Luke Beveridge to charge up the troops and, you know, he'll get into his weird bag of tricks when it comes to mental mind games to, to gear them up and to get them all G'd up. And they'll come out and they'll blitz this game. And then, you know, 
they lose the next two or three again. And then they do the same thing again. They get sub G'd up and they save. They get, they're, in it for, they're, they're in it for each other. Run to the pump, yeah. you know, boys of the West, that kind of stuff. And this is primed yeah. for that. This is absolutely primed for that. I do see them being a little bit of a, a flat track bully this season. Um, but, yeah, maybe maybe a win at home could be on the cards before they revert back to their um, ordinary selves the following week. But, yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting. It will be very interesting indeed. And watch this space in my tip of the week. I might have just given it away. So, uh now we're on to our holds. So the teams that we don't, you know, quite know enough about yet, they're under the pump. I'm not ready to ditch them in the stock market yet. Mine is Geelong because too often, I think, especially when it comes to Geelong, we say too old, too slow, game over, rebuild, blow it up, and then lo and behold, I won a premiership last year. And then the favourite thing the footy media to do is just to say the premiers are dead. Premiers are dead. They've got the hangover. Ship them off. Dynasty over. And I just think you're going to be very, very silly to do that. Yes, they've gone zero and two just the second time in Scott's 13-year tenure. The last time they did that, they missed out on finals. So, you know, mm. history does suggest that things are amiss, but have they been as poor as what people are alluding them to being? Or are they actually playing some decent football, but they've just copped two very good sides to start the season? Yeah, it, it has been a, a very difficult start to the season. I don't think anyone would want to be playing um, Collingwood and Carlton at the MCG in their opening two games. And, yeah, you, you can never write off the Cats. I mean, they've proven time and time again that they will bounce back. They will play finals. They more likely than not will finish in the top four. And it's been a slow start to the season, but I, I don't think they'll be concerned internally. Um, the, the football they've been playing isn't bad. Um, obviously, they've started the season off with a few injuries, um, which isn't ideal. Obviously, the Stewarts and um, and yeah, a few of their other premiership players, but um, and obviously Tom Hawkins as well. Uh, I mean, he's been playing, but um, hasn't been uh, hasn't had hasn't had the best preseason uh, to start twenty twenty three. So it'll take time for this uh, machine to get well oiled, and I expect them to start peaking in the second half of the season when when it really matters. And that's all you have to worry about when you're the reigning premier. You don't have to finish on top of the ladder. You don't have to win every single week. You just need to win enough games to book your spot in finals or top four, give yourself the best chance of winning and come September, whip out your best football in the space of a few weeks. And they are more than capable of doing that. So I agree with you. And they also have Jeremy Cameron on their side who on the weekend showed us and our caller as well, Dario, did mention this too, uh, Jeremy Cameron, best player in the competition. I have to agree with that. Uh, six goals, 25 disposals. He can do everything as a forward, can't he? He's like, he can kick goals, he can finish, he can be that target, but he can also create uh, for the forward line. He's such an integral member and, yeah, I, I, can't, um, I, I can't say anyone is better than him at the moment. There you go. And you do love a high-scoring full forward to uh, you know, really bring you back to the glory days of Buddy at Hawthorne. Just look at uh, Geelong's uh, fixture list here. And, you know, coming into the mid-year by, they only play arguably two more top eight contenders in Sydney and Richmond. Other than that, they're all teams that should be, you know, finishing outside the eight. And so they're going to enter probably, you know, round 12 with a record of, you know, eight and four and be mm. perfectly fine sitting about fifth on the ladder, probably with some pretty high percentages and they, you know, pound teams like Fremantle and Essendon and, and West Coast and Hawthorne and Gold Coast who they're playing this weekend. So I don't think there's much concern to have for the Cats. Uh, that being said, they obviously do have to go down to the Gold Coast, 2-10 on Sunday uh, are you just having a massive Geelong win and getting on with it, or you know, is there a chance that the uh, the Suns can finally show something this season? 
Yeah, it, it's a tricky game, obviously, being over there on the Gold Coast. Uh, it helps that it is in the afternoon and not at night, so it won't be as slippery as what it could be. Um, and, yeah, obviously, the Suns have started this season off 0-2. and two. They've been disappointing themselves. And, um, go, yeah, going back home, I, I expect a better performance from them, hopefully. But, um, I mean, yeah, given that defeat they had in round one to the Swans, um which was hugely disappointing. And then obviously um, the defeat to Essendon on the weekends, oh, I can't see them beating the Cats. I, I can't see the Cats going zero and three. So um, I'll be tipping Geelong in this one. Yeah, I could give you a whole bunch of stats and suggest that Geelong is going to absolutely spank the Suns. And that's just a very obvious thing to say. And the stats back it up, but you don't need to hear them because we can move on to other games. Geelong win this one by plenty Who's the team that you're holding on to for more information, Matt? Um, yeah, so obviously I picked the Giants to uh, finish the season in the finals. Um, it was a bold call from me. Um, they obviously had that uh, comeback win in round one over Adelaide where at halftime I was thinking, oh, geez, have I made the right call on the Giants? But um, they saved me in the end in that one. But then... To go to the West and, yeah, lose to the Eagles, it, it was such a typical um, GWS performance. They, they're not very good on the road um, when they do visit those hostile um, away grounds. I think that's still an area for improvement for them. But, look, I, I'll, I'll still be holding on to them. Um, it wasn't an embarrassing loss, Um but yeah, I, I just I want to see a bit more from them in in terms of uh, obviously they've got a new coach and they're still trying to get used to their system. So I think we can give them a bit of leeway. If this, if this was still Leon Cameron in charge, I'd uh, I'd be a lot more critical of them. But yeah, new coach, obviously without some of the stars that they've lost um, over the off season, still probably trying to get that uh, mix right in the midfield and up forward, but. Um, I still have confidence in them that they can they can turn it around. I think Toby Green is playing some of his best football at the moment. He kicked another four goals on the weekend. He's had a really good start to the season. And obviously, um, Stephen Canelio and Tom Green have been really good in midfield. So I expect them uh, to... I don't know if they'll be able to beat Carlton on the weekend, um, but... Yeah, back at home at Giants Stadium should be an interesting game. And it's been a very happy hunting ground for them because, you know, the last yeah. five or six matches against the Blues at the Giants Stadium, they've scored more than 100 points. They've kept the kept the Blues to just 66. Um, mm. Yes, last time there, Carlton did win by 30 points, but uh, and that was in round nine last year. But, you know, yeah. th- these sides on paper, well, this traditionally is the leftovers cup because that's how they yeah. are. The Giants do all their recruiting, and that's how uh, Carlton does all their recruiting. Just lots of player swaps. So everyone's very familiar with each other. Everyone's uh, known about each other's past. But if the Blues continue on the way they did, you can't imagine the Giants being at the top. And then it just really depends on it's going to be a big win or a small win because, it's, again, that ground ball will be so important against some of these rampaging teams like Carlton and Collingwood this year. That's the only way you can keep them a contest is to stem the bleeding at the source. And so if they played mm-hmm. like they did in the first week, then the Giants are we're going to get absolutely pumped. They play like they did last week. Um, you know, yeah. they're going to have to work out that ground ball. So that's going to be the key stat to look out for. And if they're trailing in that by plenty, then the scoreboard will rack up. But yeah, I'm going to be with you and tipping Carlton as well. And then for our leftover previews, we've got the uh, the showdown. We've got Intino 45 minutes into a into a football <laughs> podcast. I haven't mentioned the showdown. Yeah, you don't rate the Adelaide Crows, or you were disappointed by the Port, or you just you just don't like South Australian beer. What, what is it? Nick? Oh, it's not that I was disappointed by Port because I was, but there's just more teams that that I was disappointed about. I, I'm I'm going to put that one down to just a bad week for Port Adelaide Football Club. They were obviously um, very impressive in that first week. Uh, they blew Brisbane away by fifty odd points. Um, so yeah, it, it was odd to see them so poor. I don't think they'll be that bad again to like, as we mentioned, to lose the contested possession count by almost 60, 60 disposals is just ridiculous. Um, it was a really poor showing. They were blown away. They were uncompetitive. 
Um, yeah, probably the worst performance of the week, uh, even even including that, that Hawthorne game. But um, I'm expecting a full bounce back from Port Adelaide. Again, I don't think they'll be that bad again. And even the Crows, uh, they've played well in patches this season. Um, so it, it's hard to criticize them. Obviously, um, still still a rebuilding side. Uh, a lot of people had them as their riser this season. They've shown potential. Uh, they came back against the Tigers um, in that third quarter last week. It, it's it's going to be a tough one. Obviously, the Crows going into this zero and two. Port Adelaide one and one. Um, yeah, this is going to be a typical showdown. It's going to be a dog fight. It's going to be close. Both teams are desperate for a win. They always are as well, obviously, in the showdown. So um, given that it's a Port Adelaide home game, though, Gordo, uh, I feel like the home crowd is an advantage in, in, in the showdowns. Obviously, I mean, 90% of the crowd is is in favor of um, the home team uh, at the Adelaide Oval. So, yeah, Port going into this with the advantage and... If they if they go back to the way they played in round one, they'll be hard to beat. That's a very good analysis there from you. And another key stat to look out for in this game is going to be clearances. These are the two top teams in terms of percentage of scoring originating from clearances. So 57% of the Crows score comes from clearance chains. And mm. uh, for power, it's, it's 50%. So whoever gets on top of that midfield battle, will win this game. That is how they set up their scoring. That's, that's how they score is from clearances. So whoever does that, and I think just on paper, you know, five of the last six showdowns have gone the power's way. It, clearly the power has the better list. You know, let's chalk up. Let's let's use Chris Fagan's terminology. Chalk up last week as a mulligan. You played the best team in the comp at their home turf in front of 100,000 fans all against you. Now swap it. Now you get 50,000 fans at the Adelaide Oval win that midfield contest, get the job done. So I'll be tipping Port as well. And that leaves us with uh, Melbourne versus Sydney. And Sydney is finally making its trip back to the MCG to uh, shake off some grand final hoodoos. Uh, but obviously mm. Melbourne wants a win as well. Tough game to uh, to tip this one. So, so talk us through it, Ned. Yeah, very tough game to tip. Um, obviously Sydney on top of the ladder with that massive percentage. Uh, they've started this season very, very hot. And the, the Ds as well, um, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt last week. They lost Max Gorn very early. And I think that did play um, a part in in their performance mentally. I think they were a bit shook. Um, obviously, the big man, the captain, their inspirational leader came off very early because of um, a teammate falling on his leg. So... I reckon they were a bit rattled early in that game. We were able to come back from it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly uh, not riding uh, Melbourne off for the premiership or anything like that. So, yeah, this is going to be a very, very good, high-quality game of football. Two very good midfields going at it. It's going to be interesting to see how the Ds uh, go this week without Max Gorn. Um, obviously, Brody Grundy will be... Um, taking that number one ruck mantle, which is obviously what he's used to, but he's also copped a little bit of criticism as well, um, whether he's, you know, back to his best or is he able to cover the ground as good as what he used to. Um, so I'm looking forward to keeping an eye on him. Um, and then obviously Buddy Franklin as well, coming back from suspension. Uh, there's a bit of a selection headache uh, for the Swans because how do you drop um, Amati after he kicked four goals and then Logan McDonald kicking five goals? So um, a couple of weeks ago, we were saying, gee, Sydney's forward line, they don't have many options uh, or many tall options, but now um, all of a sudden uh, they've got too many. So they're going to be extremely hard for Melbourne to defend against. Um, could be a bit of a stalemate, this one. Uh, um, good defense versus a good attack. Two good midfields. Yeah, I. it's it's extremely hard to tip. It is, but history does suggest that Sydney uh, has the measure of Melbourne. So the, Melbourne got outscored by 50 and 40 points, uh, respectively, last year from intercept possessions. So... That used to be Melbourne's game, but Sydney has turned the tables on them there and can score really efficiently against them when Melbourne makes an error. Um, and then you also just look at, you mentioned there about, you know, Grundy having to step up into that number one rock role. 
it creates a really different style of, of game though because Grundy is well was at Collingwood that that extra midfielder that seventh midfielder obviously plays plays in the ruck. That Gorn is go forward, kick goals, dropping behind the ball and take intercept marks. Neither of which that is it's Grundy's game, and so it's going to change up the dynamic of that midfield. It's going to change up the way they structure up in defence and, and where they try and look for a cheap kick inside 50 if they've got nothing on. And as we've seen, all these teams have had to change their game styles dramatically uh, early in the season have kind, of, have kind of struggled. So I reckon Melbourne might struggle again with trying to roll the dice a little bit and fling the magnets around and try and patch up the gap that Max Gorn lives because he's probably you know, their most important player because of how, how much he offers them and how how much structure he offers them either side of the ball. So I'll be tipping Sydney and they'll go over there, Hoodoo, and they'll, they'll move to 3-0 and they'll all of a sudden be back in that premiership contention talk because uh, on the current form, that deserves to be. So, uh, yeah, Sydney for mine. Speaking of away wins, each week we'll be talking to Nico about his desktop selections, his biggest super coach takeaways. Heading into round three. First off, what's your record? How are we going? What's your average? Put the numbers on. Uh, I actually had a very good week. Um, I scored over two thousand three hundred, which was very, uh, very promising. Um, but Gordo, I have spoken to management to get this segment scrapped. Uh, last week, I obviously uh, suggested Callahan to come into the team, and I've spoken about the hoodoo or the juju I've got on this bloody segment. Uh, he's out of my team this week. <laughs> He's out of my team. Not that he's, you know, not a bad player to have in your team. He will make you money, but um, there's a there's a bloke named Will Setterfield at the Bombers who's absolutely killing it, and I have to get rid of someone to get him in, and that man is Callahan. He had a poor week compared to his first week, so... Yes, Setterfield will be the one I'm bringing in, and, and another player I want to mention as well is Luke Davis Uniac. Um, he's been absolutely killing it for North Melbourne. He's certainly in Brownlow contention. There's the comparisons being made uh, with Chris Judd. He's an absolute bull and he's being brought in by a lot of teams this week as well. So it's your final week to get your team right before prices change. So yeah, there's a couple of players for you to bring in this week. But again, my the luck I generate on this podcast is terrible, so <laughs> take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> with a grain of salt, indeed. And uh, unfortunately, the same was for me on the fans. I'd flutter. Luckily, our friends over at Sportsbait are doing the same thing this week with their two plus leg same game multi. If any of your legs fail, you get your money back up to fifty dollars in bonus bets, and I was very thankful for that because I got two out of three in both of my multis, so I'm scaling it down to one this week. But uh, my tip of the week is going to be the Dogs to beat the Lions. They're currently paying $2.65. And as I said, sometimes they have to go off vibe. And the narrative here is Bevo's upset. His, his boys are being bashed in the media. He's ready to take on some journalists in a press conference afterwards. He's going to gear them up for a big win. He reckons the Lions are there for the taking because they've been giving them giving their mulligan. They're going to be feeling pretty good about themselves after last week getting away with one when the when the tower blew up. So they are primed for an ambush. There's no stats to back it up. They're playing absolute terrible football, but I can just see the dogs turning around like they always do at Marvel as well. And then for a more considered approach, I'm using the same game multi insurance from Sportsbet for the Collingwood Richmond game on Friday night because you've got to have something to watch on Friday night. And I know that Richmond's going to get pumped. So it's a fairly obvious tip for mine. Collingwood 14, uh, Collingwood to cover the line of 14 and a half. They've covered the line in each of their last five matches. No reason why they can't kick more than three goals over Richmond. And then two players to look out for. Tom Mitchell, one of your old favourites. He's recorded 32 disposals in each of his last seven appearances against Richmond, excluding the COVID year where the games were shortened. He just loves playing Richmond. He loves racking it up. He racked it up for him when he was playing for Hawthorne. He's going to rack up even more when he's playing for Collingwood and he's arguably like their third best midfielder. Like, you can't take them all. Why would you tag Tom Mitchell? Watch him get those disposals. Pop him in your super coach team as well. And then, arguably my new favourite player in the AFL, Mason Cox. He is feeling himself right now. The big American's got swag and that's what you need. And he can get away with it because he's American. 
He's going to kick two or more goals because he's kicked two or more goals in five of his last six appearances against Richmond. He already loved playing against Richmond. Imagine how much going to love it in front of a big, you know, Collingwood charging crowd ready to tear their head off a lion. I tell you, the head off a tiger. Uh, he'll be swagging about in his goggles. He'll be looking like a goose. Uh, he'll be posting some stuff on Twitter and Instagram afterwards. And he's going to kick at least two or more. So Tom Mitchell, B plus. Mason Cox, two plus. Collingwood win by at least three goals. That's paying $14.50. That's huge value there. So that's why I'll be going with with that same game multi-insurance policy there from Sportsbet. But remember to always think about what are you really gambling with? And if you need free and confidential support, please call 1-800-858-858 or visit thegamblinghelponline.org.au. That brings a bumper episode to the end. We're about to head off into the round three mist. Where will it lead us? We don't know. But join us on Tuesday to break it all down for the water cooler cheat sheet. And hopefully next week it'll be a happy Hawk Day talk to Nikki G. Not a sad one. So good luck to your Hawks. Good luck to your Tigers. You might need it. Good luck to your team unless they're playing our team. In which case, we hope you lose.